You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. If you're like me and it's easier to just listen, then may he who has ears let him hear, as Jesus would say. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, A light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor the breaking of the law. As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is circumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you, who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul here is a Jew himself. And a lot of times we look at it like Christianity is like, a, well, that was a whole other religion. But for Paul, Christianity was Judaism. It was the extension of Judaism. He didn't think that he was practicing another religion. He felt he was practicing the fullness of Jewishness because Jesus is God. So Paul's not saying, like, you're Jews and I'm not. No, he's looking at the Jews and saying, I think of the ways in which we fail as as the Jewish people to show the world who God is. And here's a few things that I might just call out as a few examples. You say you're not supposed to steal. Do you steal? One of the examples he gives is, you go and some of you, you've gone and you've robbed temples. Now probably what Paul's talking about right there is, uh, in ancient times, if you were going to go to a temple to worship that God, you would have a dinner with that God. So you would bring food, you'd bring your sacrifices, and then you would go into the temple and you'd sit in there in this sacred space where the God was, and then you would eat with that God. So, Paul knows that these 
little g gods, well, these are just statues. They're not really them or anything like that. And the Jews know that too. There's only one God. There's only one true God. And all these little g gods, they're just demons. And these statues are really nothing. And they're not going to eat this food. And so some of the Jews have come to this point of saying, well, they don't need that food. Let's just go rob those temples when no one's looking, take the food, go home and eat it. And Paul looks at that, he's like, you tell people not to steal, but then the Gentiles look at you and they know you do steal. Sometimes you take their food. What, what, what might Paul say to us today? What are the things where he would look us in the eye and say, you say not to do this, church, but you do this. For example, the church says don't get divorced, but the divorce rate in the church is, from what I understand, pretty much equal to what the rest of the world is. Paul might look at us and say, when you preach against stealing, do you illegally download movies and music? I did that forever. Like, I am probably one of the world's worst offenders. I love movies. I love music. And when I was a kid, I treated data like many people do. I didn't see it as, like, this is wrong. I didn't see it as a crime. Till one day, God very deeply convicted me. Jamin, you have thousands of songs that you think you didn't have to pay any money for. Well, you've robbed people. You tell people not to steal, but Jamin, you've stole. And I had to repent of that. And unfortunately, I grew kind of slow. Like my next step was, okay, don't use online downloaders to take people's music, but maybe I'll just use, uh, uh, if my friend has an album, I'll burn it, because that's kind of more like borrowing. <laughs> And God had to convict me again. And you see how the whole world has been changed through that kind of stealing, that kind of sin. Now people can't even sell albums to make a living, which was like 10 bucks an album for a lot of musicians. Now you have to stream your music to make a living, which doesn't really make a living. First time I ever tried to stream my music to people, I made about 60 cents in one year. Good thing I wasn't trying to live off that because it wouldn't have worked. The entire paradigm of how music comes around today is because we said we're never going to buy stuff, we're only going to steal it, but we would pay 10 to 15 bucks a month and give you pennies for your music. And so Paul might look at us, because that's not very different in the church, it's the same everywhere. You say don't steal, but you download movies, you download music, you say don't gamble, but do you play the stocks? Uh, you say don't commit adultery, but do you have to clear your internet history? You say don't slander, but do you tear people apart on the internet, whether you know them or not? Celebrities, people you know? Well, you say jobs should be fair, do you buy clothes produced out of sweatshops? Well, you say slavery is wrong, do you buy chocolate that has been harvested by slaves? Uh, well, you say violence is wrong, do you especially enjoy R-rated movies when that fight comes up and you're like, oh! <laughs> Well, you say death is wrong. When things like Desert Storm, a war was broadcast on TV, did you get popcorn and watch it? Do you teach your kids to stop yelling by yelling at them? Patrick Jericho, stop yelling! <laughs> Paul calls attention to this kind of thinking. You say one thing, but you do the same thing that you say not to do. Paul calls it out in the Jews of his time, in his fellow brothers and sisters, and we can call that out in the church. 
I think it's important that we call it out in the church because organizations lose trust when the representatives of that organization perform actions that are counter to what that organization believes in, right? Republicans lost trust with this giant insurrection, with leaders rising up to justify it. The Catholic Church, in some ways, recently has lost trust because of these, uh, these mass graves that we found in Canada of children. As some leaders have rose up and tried to frame it in different lights and try to justify it. There's nationwide stories of, of police that are causing all of these racist acts that have caused us to lose so much trust that it now has become commonplace for people to talk about this idea of defunding police. Now most of us, at least if we're white, haven't had those kind of problems before and so we look at that and we're like, no, 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 we can trust. But then these stories start coming to light. Those of our brothers and sisters who are of color look at us and say, that's your experience. Have you seen ours? And the stories show up and we see people in modern day lynchings, knees on their throats in the middle of the public square, killing people. And we start to say, okay, something is wrong. Maybe we can't trust the police as much as we thought we did before. And that's not the case for every police person. That's not the case for every Catholic, that's not the case. For every Republican, that's not the case. For every Christian within the church. But obviously when an organization has representatives who do things that are counter to what that organization believes, people start to question, and rightly so. In recent times, the church has not always proved trustworthy. Some are incapable of loving those who are different from them in sexuality, in race, in doctrine. Some were incapable of showing any reasonable level of concern for COVID, but just going complete opposite side of like, it's crazy, forget it. Some have uh, given themselves entirely to conspiracy theories instead of the gospel of Christ. Some have preached the heresy of Christian nationalism and said that Christian nationalism is the gospel itself, which it's not. Some high-profile church leaders have been found to be deeply oppressive. I'm not saying flawed. Everyone in the church, including leaders, are flawed. I'm flawed. But a special level of, like, oppressively flawed. When we find out, we're heartbroken. We've recently uh, uh, seen all these different kinds of things happen in all different kinds of ways. And it causes us as the church to be like, what's, what's going on? Our representation is not looking good. Just as Paul would point fingers at his Jewish brothers and sisters and say, what's going on? Our representation is not looking good. In fact, here's what Paul might say to the modern church, because it's exactly what he said to the people of his time in Romans. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The world looks at the church and they blaspheme God because they can't understand a God that makes sense within these Christians that claim to follow him but seem to live in a different way. How do we get to that point? Like, how did the church get to that point? I think one of the answers goes back to what we talked about last week. I'd suggest 
that because we phrase salvation to be nothing more than like what I think I'm saved by believing that Jesus is king, that he saved my uh, saved me from my sins. Because we said that that's all salvation is, that's all you got to do to get to heaven. We've created this paradigm where people are undiscipled. As long as my brain thinks away, the rest of my life can do whatever it wants. And so the world looks at the church and like, well, they certainly think a certain way about Jesus. But everything else doesn't seem to match the Jesus that the Bible talks about. Evangelism has become nothing more than getting people to say a prayer. Not trying to conform them to the fullness of the Holy Spirit to walk towards the resurrection life. Not just wait till one day when the resurrection life shows up. And because we've done church in this simple kind of way, we've created a church that is a weaker form of saved and some greater form of undiscipled. But it's not hopeless. If the church rises up and the church understands who Jesus is and the church submerges itself in the gospel and lives out the gospel, things can actually change pretty quick. It's happened throughout history where it doesn't seem like the gospel is going to show up, but then people get serious about it and it explodes. I'll use, a, I'll use an analogy here. Uh, this might appeal more to my nerd churchians, but I think you'll all enjoy it a little bit. Um, Video games, by 2023, the video game industry is expected to reach $200 billion. $200 billion. That's like one-fifth of a trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. Now, we're used to big numbers like that when it comes to industries. So we're like, why, why does that matter? If you rewind back to the 1980s, we would have probably never expected video games to have any kind of hope today. Because back in the 1980s, Atari started releasing video games and getting people interested in it. But then Atari started looking at their video games and realized, man, they can make a lot of money out of this. So people started making video games. And they came to Atari like, publish this, publish this, publish this, publish this. And Atari published everything. <laughs> they took everything that people gave them, made in five to six months on average, and just pumped it out to the world. So people would go to the store, buy Atari video games, and about one in every dozen was actually good. Now when you go to the store and you spend your hard-earned cash on a video game, and you go home and you plug it in, and it's very clear it's been made in five to six months, guess what? You start to lose hope in video games. You don't have the internet to go figure out what reviews are, like what's the best thing out there. No, you just have to blindly go and trust a video game. You just have to blindly go and trust a Christian. You just have to blindly go and trust an organization. And if your experience of that organization, that Christian, that video game is negative over and over and over and over and over and over again, eventually you're gonna give up hope. But then, then, a spark of hope came. Steven Spielberg created a hit movie. <laughs> Some, you already know where I'm going with this. A hit movie called E.T. E oh, no. And it was a big deal. Everybody loved it. So much so that they decided we need a video game of E.T. Quick. 
because it's like right around the corner. We got to release it in time for the holidays, in time for ET, this movie, and all these other things. So they start working really, really hard on it. One guy works really, really hard on it for five weeks. Because <laughs> that's how much time he has to make a video game. He makes the video game in five weeks. E.T. is released. Every parent goes out and buys it, puts it under the Christmas tree. Every kid wakes up on Christmas morning. What is Santa brought them? Open the box, pulls out E.T., screams at the top of their lungs, plugs it in, and plays a worst game ever made in five weeks. And at that point, everyone was done. Forget video games. We're done. In many ways, I fear that that's a little bit what COVID was like. The churches tried to rise up again and again to be like, we can be an answer, we can be an answer, we can be an answer. And then all the stories that rose up during COVID about the church was like, we're E.T., we're the bad. Oh, we messed up. <laughs> again. You think it would be over for video games. How is it ever going to become a $200 billion industry by 2023? The answer was in one particular Japanese publisher. Anyone? Nintendo. Nintendo. Thank you, Nerd Church Pastor Tyler Salter. Tyler Salter. I said it so fast it came out wrong. I know your name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know my own staff here. All right. Okay, so um, Nintendo, based out of Japan, looks at America, knows that they don't trust video games, and that they've given up. Nintendo decides the solution that we're going to make is that we are going to put on all of our video games that we work really, really hard on to make excellent quality games, we're going to put on the front of it, seal of quality. And it will be quality. We won't just put out whatever we want. In fact, other publishers can publish through us. They don't have to all be Nintendo games. But if you publish through us, you're only allowed to release so many games a year. Because the last thing we want is a bunch of publishers just throwing out a bunch of nonsense at us, us making people pay for it, and people just giving up on Nintendo. Nintendo decided we make quality stuff so that people can trust video games again. The Super Mario Bros. 3 was one of the best-selling games probably of that entire time frame with 18 million copies sold. The world began to believe in video games again. Because Nintendo said, we need to do better than what we've done. We can't just get people to say the Lord's Prayer and let them experience them. <laughs> we need to bring Mario into the fullness of discipleship. <laughs> so that he can grow the fruits of the mushrooms and flower plants. And the analogy is getting lost here. Let's move on. All right. Don't grow mushrooms. That's not what I was saying. Uh, but think about it. Think about it. Nintendo changed the world for video games when people have given up. How much more can the church change the world and give them a better view of Christianity when we have the Holy Spirit inside us to guide us, to lead us? We are not powerless. We have a lot to face. The church has been very loud in negative ways, but we are not powerless. We have the Holy Spirit. People can encounter Jesus through what we do if we are obedient to the fullness of the faith that we profess. So the church needs to grow in quality. You know, during COVID, I made a lot of posts that I think made a lot of people mad. 
but it was intentional. I looked at the world around me, I saw what the loudest things the church was saying at the time, and I thought to myself, man, if someone doesn't actually talk about the gospel, no one's going to believe in this anymore. Like, I have to say something, whether people hate me for it or not. As long as I think I'm being obedient to Jesus, and I can prove what I mean to say through scripture, not through how I feel, then I need to do this. And I got quite a few Facebook messages in the background of people just saying, thank you. I, I didn't know what's going on with the church anymore. And I, I just, I didn't understand everything that's been shouted. It, it made no sense to me. Thank you for saying something. That's the gospel. We have to preach it. It wakes people up. It lets them see who Jesus is. And it especially needs to be said in harder times and it needs to be said to correct our brothers and sisters when that time approaches as well. Just like Paul would look at his brothers and sisters and correct them wherever he went. We need to grow. Now, I'm not saying that we need to get saved and be perfect right away. Okay, That's not what I'm getting at at all here. I understand it always takes time to make quality disciples. E.T. was not good because it had five weeks. Super Mario Bros. 3 was good because they had a lot of time to spend on it and people who invested in it. Becoming a quality Christian will not happen the moment you get saved. It will take the rest of your life. It takes time to put off the old flesh and live by the resurrection. No one gets saved and nails it. Even the disciples that followed God in flesh, Jesus himself, they did not nail it often, all the way to the bitter end, past the bitter end. Paul actually calls Peter out. <laughs> There's a passage where, where Paul's like, Peter, what are you doing, you doofus? That's, that's post-Jesus. <laughs> Peter didn't get it right. Still, past that. That is Christianity. None of us are perfect. We're not going to get it right. We do want to grow in the direction of getting it more and more right. But that takes time. That takes practice. And if we don't try to grow, then our efforts to advertise Jesus and who he actually is, all of that will be in vain. All right, as we wrap up, let's focus on the second paragraph of what we read really quick. Paul looks at this, at his uh, Israel fellow brothers and sisters the Jews, and he looks at them and he recognizes that they want to add a certain mark onto the non-Jewish people who are believing in Jesus. This mark is circumcision. With kids being here, I shall do my best to believe that we all understand what I'm talking about as I keep talking. Uh, not that this is bad, but you know, I don't feel like having this conversation. Uh, Paul looks at uh, the Jewish believers and he recognizes that they think they're saved by a mark. Just like Christians can often believe I'm saved just by saying a prayer, like magic and incantation. Paul looks at his time and it's not the sinner's prayer. In Paul's time, it's a mark. That mark came about because of Abraham. Abraham was promised long ago, you will have many descendants. Jesus will come from this. It will change the world. So, as a mark to all of your descendants, take a knife and put a mark where your descendant maker is. 
<laughs> so that anytime you have descendants and that descendant has a descendant maker mark as well, everyone will always look at the area where descendants come from and be like, ah, the promises of God. Okay, all right, there we go. Paul looks at that kind of culture and he's like, look, guys, you really think it's the mark that saved you? Like he's thinking through the thousands of Israelites throughout the past hundreds of years who bore the mark upon their descendant maker, but worshipped other gods. That bore the mark upon their descendant maker, but were not saved and would not get eternal life. And Paul thinks over all those people throughout history, and he, and he says to the Jews, do you really think that it was because we had a knife and we did something to ourselves that suddenly we're following God? No. Instead, he looks to Jeremiah, a prophet of old, and says, you know what Jeremiah actually saw? God told him that real circumcision, the real mark of God, it's on your heart. It's performed by the Spirit. So, don't look at all these Gentiles who are coming in that you're trying to put through these hazing rituals. <laughs> As they're coming in, don't look at them and say, you gotta, you gotta wear the mark, buddy. <laughs> Come join the Christian group here, yeah. No, Paul's like, guys, it was never about that. That was the mark so that we knew who we were. But there have been hundreds, thousands of people who have bore that mark who weren't following God nonetheless. The real mark is on the heart. That's what identifies you as a God follower. And so he tells his Jewish brothers and sisters... As these Gentiles get saved, you don't have to do that to them. Recognize that the Spirit's already worked in their heart and that they have entered into salvation. The real mark is of the Holy Spirit, not by a knife. The real mark is on the inside, not the outside. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to grow more with the Holy Spirit. I want to aim towards that idea of Christian perfection, becoming more and more like Christ, becoming that seal of quality that the rest of the world can look at and say like I actually do think I like that Jesus guy because I've seen how he's lived and changed you uh, I want Christ to be advertised through me and I don't always do that in fact I remember there was one time I was at a recovery group and we were going around the room sharing our struggles where we've been at and we get to this one guy who wasn't a Christian didn't believe in Jesus and he was significantly further along towards being a quality person on that struggle than I was. And I, that convicted me. <laughs> this guy doesn't have the Holy Spirit. This guy's not following Jesus. And yet look at the, the fruit in his life that I don't have. Because I, I'm not putting the same amount of effort that he is into this. You listen to his testimony. You see how hard he's working at it. That should convict me. And it did convict me. And I think Paul is convicted by that idea too. Because in what we read today, he said, He who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you, who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. It's exactly what I felt like in that moment. This guy, who shouldn't be able to do what he's doing, is doing it anyways while I'm slacking. And he could condemn me for that. Now, I imagine what, in context, what Paul is saying is like a Gentile Christian could rise up and judge a Jewish Christian for 
both of them, like, it didn't have to do with circumcision. And so, like, who's actually following the law? I'm sure that's what Paul was saying. But at the same time, Jesus actually said on the day of judge, judgment, people from Nineveh would rise up and judge people. And at the day of judgment, the queen of the south would rise up and judge people. And Nineveh and the queen of the south, like, they don't strike you as like God followers. And yet at the same time, you perhaps have the way in which they live their lives still being better than some of the ways in which others live their lives and gives them perhaps the ability to point the finger. I, I don't know. I never knew what to do with that passage from Jesus. But it convicts me. It convicts me. And if I don't know what to do with the passage, conviction is enough for me for the time. Anyways, whatever the case may be, we all have our weaknesses. I totally understand that. Uh, we can shine in our weaknesses by being open about those things and things like the bands that we'll be starting in August. Where you can come and say, I want to grow. I want to be better. I want the fruit of the Spirit to continue to increase in me. We can give ourselves over to God in that way. And I invite you to do that then. But today and every day, just more and more, give yourself to Jesus. That we continue, as Paul says, uh, to be perfect but continually sanctified. Or maybe it's Hebrews. I don't know, that verse just popped into my head. It's interesting. We enter into perfection, but at the same time, we're continuing to be sanctified. They seem like they'd be the opposite, but that verse sees it as something similar, to continue growing. All right, let me pray for you. We'll let you go. God, the first week that we uh, started a series on Romans, we just read the whole letter straight through. And uh, I don't know about everybody else here, but by the end, I was convicted by plenty of the things Paul said. Sometimes there's really strong moments that convict me even more, but all throughout the letter, there's plenty. God, conviction's not bad. We need to walk in that, rest in that, and allow us uh, to let you grow us in that. So wherever we're at tonight, would, would we know that you have already looked at us and said, uh, that uh, uh, we are walking with you, that we are saved, but at the same time that you're inviting us to continue walking in the sanctification of that salvation, to continue growing into more and more righteousness. We give our lives to you, and we ask that you continue to uh, send your spirit to us to take us where you need us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We will catch you next Sunday, if not sooner. Uh, if you need to give in the box, feel free to do that. Kevin and Janae are right back there. So if you're not going to be here next week and you need to catch them before that, do that as well. We'll catch you guys later. Thanks.